What's up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com or on iTunes. Welcome to This American Horror Story Podcast, the Christmas episode. Well, the American Horror Story episode, at least, was Christmas-related. Uh, uh, this <laughs> this is a podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. Uh, I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with... Chris Husted, co-host. What's up, everyone? Happy holidays. Happy holidays, and boy, did we have an episode tonight. Um, very excited to get to talking about this one. Um, but before we dive into it, once again, we'd just like to thank everybody for the comments that keep coming in on uh, the email via email. That's thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And as always, we appreciate your uh, reviews and ratings on iTunes. So just jump on there and um, let us know what you think. That's very much appreciated. Um, Chris, what are you drinking tonight in honor of this Christmas episode? I am finally back to Bourbon on the Rocks, and tonight I am drinking Knob Creek. Classy. That what about sounds you? fantastic. I am drinking bourbon and cider, and I think we should raise a toast to what? What was it exactly? I think today is one, like the anniversary of um, when prohibition was uh, the anniversary of when prohibition was abolished. I'm pretty sure. So I think we should be drinking to that. That's right. The yeah. So, Absolutely. Cheers to that. So cheers to that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And let us begin. Okay, and it, before we really dive into the nitty-gritty, initial thoughts. What the hell did you think about this episode? Well, well we definitely had uh, quite the battle between secularism and religion in this as a theme, I think. Clearly, we had Santa versus God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is kind of too bad. They, basically, they had Santa be, yeah... The uh, the devil's the devil. tool, <laughs> which was uh, interesting. Which is like, are you choice. reading my mother's diary? <laughs> Sorry, mom. I know you listen to this. I, I thought it was incredibly entertaining, and I thought Ian McShane was amazing. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I he thought was he was he was terrifying, and that's where I want to start is with the beginning. When we see this scene, it takes place in 1962. We start off. With the you know Salvation Army Santa ring the bell, and Ian McShane, McShane pops him in the chest. <laughs> Boom. Uh, then Boom. we go on to see what I think was one of the creepiest scenes we've seen thus far in this season, in which he is in the family's house Ugh. with a Santa suit on, with the blood on the front, and the little girl comes down as he's like playing with the train set. Total playoff of the Grinch right here. Total playoff oh, of the Grinch, right? A, a, a total Grinch illusion we've got going on. Um, he's got his bloody Santa suit on. He is interacting with the little girl who's come down and says, What are you doing here, Santa? It's, you know, way before Christmas. And he, he's just, I thought he was just chilling, really, in this entire scene. And the way he talks to the little girl about, um, basically t- talks her into taking him up to wake up the parents. And the scene in which they wake up the parents... Where you're like in the perspective of the parents looking over Ooh. and he's on the other side of the bed. Scary, man. Creepy shit. And, but first of all, what happened to the little girl when he takes the parents downstairs and ties them up? 
We don't really. I guess we he don't really her. know. They, they probably don't want to address that, but I'm assuming he probably killed her as well. He uh, that's what it sounded like. Cause it sounded like he killed a lot of people that evening. But he ties them up in Christmas lights, and he says that he came there because of their gaudy decoration. So, did, what what did you think he was trying to say there? Like it was because they celebrated Christmas so strongly that he felt a need to that that's why he chose their house. Yeah, I think maybe it's a little bit of that, but also his weird psychosis of him being fixated with Christmas, as we learn later on, that like when uh, when Eunice brings down brings him down the costume, and he's like, "You know what day it is? You know what this means? You know who I am?" So he's got some weird fixation with Christmas to begin with. So it might be some some delusion of his own that also feeds into that. Um, on top of being some uh, setting the scene for the the fight between. Um, you know, this happy Christian God-fearing group and the secular Santa. Exactly. And what do you this think? Is, I think that that's pretty apt, and I think that, yeah, he's definitely... They use Santa in this episode as, like, the incarnation, or, like, a an arm of, of the devil, basically. And you're right, as an opposition to God, which we're still really not sure if there is a God or what. I mean, I guess the Angel of Death was a little bit interesting last episode. She disappeared, um, though. I wanted her to show back up. Where she? Yeah, at? but she's gone, so we'll have to see if we even see her again. But no one wanted to kill themselves this episode, so she peaced out. I, yeah, she had better people to go hover over. Although you think she might have been there in that living room when he bludgeons the da- you know, sure. the guy in the head with the truck or with the you know the thing on the mantle and everything. But it um, is the holidays. There are people that are very depressed. So, and just one last thing about this. Op- <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and he is the embodiment of all that is depressed at the holidays. Um, one last point I want to make about this opening scene. The Christmas music in the background. This is the first time we get it. Is really when he when he's got it playing in in there when he's killing him. And the Christmas music is all throughout. Did, what did you? How were what were your thoughts about you know the way the music was used in this episode? I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was brilliant. They they take a lot of the Christmas staples and they put set them to scenes that you maybe some of them made sense and some of them were a little disturbing. Um, oh, for sure. Coming to mind immediately to me is Carol of the Bells at the whole end of the episode where it's just so eerie and disturbing that, but it but it worked. It worked it really well. And then also the sequence in the middle where they play, I believe it's the um, it's the girl group from the '60s doing. Oh shoot, I didn't write it down. Rocking uh, on the Christmas tree. Phil Spector. That... No, it wasn't Rocking on the Christmas tree, but it was a Phil Spector group. And um, uh, I can't think of the name right now. It's like it's like the Ronettes, I believe, maybe singing. Um, uh, Christmas, Christmas, the snow's coming down. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. When Kit's with uh, back with Alma. But anyway, yes, that's they, right. I thought they did a brilliant job with the with the holiday music. Yeah, a total juxtaposition. I think you're right. They were definitely like trying to prove a point by putting like these you know happy songs posed against these really grim moments. Like when he's got the family tied up and everything like that. Very eerie, very effective. I thought that was a cool use of of music. Um, Anyway, so that's that opening scene. It was pretty, I thought it was pretty intense. And we kind of go from there back to, you know, the modern day, where we're at the Barcliff Christmas party, and Eunice is bringing back Christmas because Jude has apparently banned it. We don't know why yet, but we figure it out pretty soon. Um, but she has this moment where they don't have any Christmas ornaments for the tree. <laughs> so she starts taking items from the patients and putting them on the tree. She's cutting, like, bows off his hairs. <laughs> the dentures. The dentures was one that you really think. I mean, 
Well, did you? Was this her way of demeaning the patients? I mean, what was, or or was it just nuts? I just see this uh, as a testament to Jude being this like teenage demon. She just comes across as this you, you mean, very you, immature demon. You, you, Eunice, you mean Eunice. That. I'm sorry, yeah. Eunice. Yes, Eunice. Yeah, that's what I meant. Exactly, and that's interesting. That's a really good point. Is it's like she's a demon, but it's like you're right. It's she's. We've kind of come to learn is it's like she's a childish demon almost. Like the way mm-hmm. she act, the way she dances and kind of ha- has her uncontrolled emotions and she takes advantage of people. It's it's like she's a child or like a teenage demon. That's a really great way to put it. I think I'm gonna ha- we're gonna have to use that for as long as she's <laughs> yeah. in there. Well, but, you're um, welcome. Yes, I thought that was a pr- that's a pr- pretty uh, apt description um but so yeah that's pretty interesting they're you know decorating the christmas tree um we see a scene where frank is expressing remorse for having just shot grace in the last episode oh frank as i said last episode on our podcast he quickly became my favorite like he's such a I good know. guy you were just starting to like frank yeah uh, it was a bummer um so he's, like the, talks- tea, he's like the tea dog of 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 american horror story Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's a, what a bummer. He hardly—we only know his first name. He's hardly there at all. We just get to liking him, and bam, he's dead. Yeah, it would have been more appropriate, I guess. It would have been a more appropriate comparison if a uh, rasper had eaten his face off. But <laughs> close <laughs> enough. Um, so Frank's expressing remorse, and Arden talks him out of calling the police, basically. Um, but we have. This meeting between Jude and Eunice. Uh, this showdown. Well, a little bit of a showdown. Eunice is, is putting her music on. This is one of the number of scenes where we kind of see her, like, absorbing the Christmas music. And that just goes to kind of further show, I was thinking, how, you know, this Christmas music doesn't have to do with Jesus is, like, representation of the devil. Because it's like, she's really indulging in this stuff and, like... Just sits and her eyes glow as she listens to it. You know what I mean? She's a little kid, yeah. Um, but Jude is back. She's in her nun robes again, and she's got a blade at Eunice's throat. What did you um, think about that scene? Uh, Jude is a badass, is what I was thinking. Jude is back. She's with back with vengeance. vengeance. Oh yeah, and uh, and that she was using that she was using the same razor blade that Eunice had left. For her to kill herself with ice nice. clarity. Good point. Very, very good deduction. Mm-hmm. So that was an intense scene, and there was a really great little monologue there from Jude, where she's talking about the dr- the devil roaming free and everything like that. Right. I took out of that that she she's she's still looking out for Eunice. She she's there, like you know, get out of her body. You know, like if I killed this body right now, and the the demon inside of her saying like, well, what's stop me from jumping into your body? Right, but, but she she's looking out for Eunice. She actually kind of cared about Eunice. I kind of got out of that. What do you think? I agree with you too. And there's another comment she makes later when she's doing the whole thing with Arden about how she's doing it for Eunice and not for Arden. And I think that was another interesting thing too because before, I mean, obviously Eunice and Jude had a relationship when it was the old Eunice before the demon possessed her. But we never really saw this compassion for Eunice like Jude had before. And it's kind of like maybe now that the devil's inhabited her, Jude is starting to realize what kind of a precious thing the innocent, albeit stupid, Eunice really was. Right. Right. Innocent but stupid. Absolutely, yeah. But Arden interrupts uh, Jude's badass sequence by coming in and then calling security. And so, you, you know, Arden gives Eunice the razor back. 
Um, and this is when we jump into a scene in which Eunice is is facing Santa. Now, this is supposed to be you know years after he's committed these murders. Um, it's Ian McShane in... Oh, well, first of all, uh, we talked about the openings, but we didn't talk about for a, for a minute who Ian McShane is. Ian McShane has been an actor... He's been in shit since the early 60s. He's been in so much stuff, I don't even know where to begin. But if you've seen any movie in the past, I don't know, what do you think, 50 years, he might have been in it. <laughs> in at least something you've seen. Anything from, apparently, I think I saw, like, this, uh, um, the... I actually feel bad about saying this. I want to say this correctly. He was in uh, Deadwood to um, Agent Cody Banks. Like so, he's like done kid movies to uh, Miami Vice, Miami Vice, Magnum PI. He played long-standing characters in both of those. American Um, Horror Story. I saw him in a BBC miniseries about um, the book The Pillars of the Earth, which is really good. He's been in the most. He's like I think he was. A character in the most recent Kung Fu Panda. He's been in a ton of stuff. But let's just talk for a minute. What did, I mean, I thought he was brilliant in this episode. What did you think about his acting? He was great. He was absolutely great. He was eerie, scary, disturbing. It, you know, he, he hit all the right notes with... I, I, I was very scared of him as a character. Like, he is someone you do not mess with. He was, I thought he was one of the most authentically terrifying characters we've seen so far this season, mainly because it was just, I mean, uh, I would say Threads and his, like, bloody face is pretty horrifying. He's probably the top, but I think that this guy is also terrifying just because it's so evident how insane he is. Right. You know? I agree, and I think it goes a long way with the, you know, you know you see Threads in and you still kind of can see Zachary Quinto or Quinto or whatever, like you can see who he is. You know it's Spock, or you know, you know, you know who he is. But you right. see, you see um, uh, uh, Ian McShane, and you and you, you don't see an actor. You see someone that's very terrifying. Like you put it very well. He's a, one of the most terrifying characters for sure. He inhabits the character, and he does a great job here. And we kind of see the scene where Eunice is giving him a Santa outfit as a gift. Um, kind of, it's a representation of her like. Basically unleashing him on the world, you know, and giving him this sin outfit. Um, and then we kind of see a little bit of his backstory. Well, the just the backstory from the past Christmas that, you know, which is the one after which Jude banned all this, you know, holiday celebration. Um, we learn that, that Ian McShane's character had killed 18 people that same night that he killed the, you know, the two in the, in the opening scene. Right. Um, two or three. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I guess if if the kid was killed too. But we see the scene in which he, like, bites the orderly's face. Was it the ear or the nose? I couldn't really see what he bit. Oh, that was effed up. (laughs) But he was was pissed that they didn't unshackle him. And so he ripped an ear or something off. He either really loves Christmas or he hates Christmas. Exactly. And we see Eunice divulge pretty much why he has this crazy hatred of Christmas. Um... Backstory is, uh, I'm assuming it was when he was a child, or at least when he was younger, he was arrested for stealing bread because he was starving on on Christmas. He was arrested for stealing bread, and he was raped in a prison cell by car- the, by the guards of the prison who were Christmas caroling in the cell block, um, and they took his virginity, and it is apparently destroyed him mentally ever since and he absolutely hates christmas and decides he's going to wreak havoc upon everyone else 
Which reminds uh, me of a movie called Santa's Sleigh. <laughs> you <laughs> give us a little overview of Santa's Sleigh. I well, know what we were talking about before. It, uh, basically, Santa. It, it doesn't remind me too much of it, but Santa makes a deal with the devil, I believe, and Santa goes around and he kills all the bad kids. And he, it, it kind of reminds me of Freddy Krueger in the sense that he's just very sadistic and and uh, but but has this dark humor about him. So he's dressed up as Santa, and well, he is Santa, and he goes around killing kids that are naughty. Uh, this isn't really like that at all, but it's just the first time I've seen someone dressed as Santa killing people uh, in, in, uh, on film in a long time, and I love it. <laughs> Everyone should watch Santa Slay, for sure. It's so funny. Fear.net movie, you should go check it out. But um, <laughs> what I do want to say is, I no, I think you are right, because you know what it is, it's this juxtaposition we're talking about manifest in this guy who is a serial killer, dressing like basically the most beloved... Um, Benevolent you know, character in the, childhood. Exactly. In and so... It, and so there's just something offsetting about seeing this guy put on the Christmas uniform and knowing he's going to go kill people, you know. Total offset. And he has, and he has a bu- he has a bunch of great lines in this in this episode. Let's just say that from the beginning. He's got a bunch of these one-liners oh, sure. that, are, that are hilarious. But I think one here was I know who's naughty and who's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, anyway. Uh, then we we've got a good scene here between Eunice and our buddy Arden. Um, interesting. Eunice talks about how you know um, she used to get tangerines and socks was all she got for Christmas when she was regular Eunice. And she 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 asks Arden uh, what if he had Christmas in his Nazi household, which was kind of funny. And you can Eunice see is so much cooler now and funnier. And, Lily Red is killing it. Oh yeah, and you could see Arden barb like a little bit at that at that comment, bristle a little bit, but he didn't want to do anything. But he brings her a gift. You want to talk about what the gift was and what the significance of it was? Uh, the I remember it was earrings and they were rubies, and she was tripping over them. Do you remember the story behind the earrings? Uh, it, it was uh, one of the um, uh, uh, camp uh, people that she that he took them from, right? And she like like dug through feces or bodies or something to get it she'd swallowed all the jewels uh to hide them from the nazis but then she was having stomach issues and so arden found her in the latrine where she was rooting through her shit to find that's right her rubies basically and so she ended up dying because she clogged up her you know her system with the jewelry and so he cut it all out of her system ah and so they're holocaust jewels which is uh i mean pretty horrible to begin with but he, i mean they were sifted out of her shit and her intestines and everything like that um and yeah eunice is freaking at these rubies which let's just say they're her color red of red for the devil she's right. super psyched about them she is um, such she, she i mean this is even more like perpetuating the idea that she's just like this kid Right, she she oh. just wants to be this kid and she's a teenager she's dressing in lingerie of jude's She's loving jewelry. She wants Christmas. She's singing, you know, she's singing rebelliously to the cross. Yeah. But but Arden is pissed that she takes the jewels. He basically... Tell me why. <laughs> he, 
he is mad because he wants to see that pure. Because old Eunice would never have taken the jewel. She would have thought they were too gaudy. She would have thought, and the backstory was horrible behind them that they were came from shit and that they came from these people who died so tragically. And he wanted to see that little glimpse of old Eunice. And this he was like his the pure Eunice, right? And this is, like, apparently his final attempt to try to bring her back, which you think that, like, by this time he would have known for sure that she was long gone, considering that Demon Eunice has now used her powers to throw him against a wall and has, I mean, really revealed herself to be, you know, have no trace of the old Eunice anymore. Right. Demon Eunice is just down for the cause. But Arden is pretty disappointed because he wanted to see some of that purity, and it is gone. It's gone. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry bro. And so, but yet yeah, he's playing the game with her. Like he, like you know, as we see, we think that he's catching on to uh, her game, and he has caught on to her game. But he decides to play the game because he realizes that he's screwed if he doesn't. Like he is yeah, not he, in a good place. She has. He the realizes that she, he realizes that she holds the trump cards, and he's smart enough to know that he she's not a good enemy. Right. Basically, um, so we kind of see them going into cohorts. Um, in the meantime, we see a scene with Jude and Mother Superior where Jude is expressing to the Mother Superior how she's been transformed and now she knows that God did give her a mission. And so this is kind of, I think, what we're finally realizing. Um, this is the after effect of her finding out that she didn't actually kill that little girl and they hit and run. Right. Which we're assuming that is the case for reals, right? Right. I, okay. Well, and I, I'm, that's what I was kind of assuming because I'm thinking what we're realizing is Jude is kind of realizing, well, that girl really didn't die, but it was just a way for God to direct me toward the to the real toward evil. being a nun, toward being a nun to to the asylum, so I could be his soldier on the battlefield combating evil. Right. Okay. And so she kind of has this renewed vigor. She goes on this rant about how. You know, they're playing Rudolph all over, and there's no mention of Christ or anything. And so this is what you were talking about, that juxtaposition of, like, Christmas being about religion versus Christmas being about Christmas spirit and kind of the things not Christ related to religion. Which Santa. Jude views as the manifestation of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, the devil God, trying... Man, I'm, I'm just rooting for Jude more and more, though. Like, even though I don't necessarily maybe agree with her cause... She, she she just comes across as in the right, and I think that's a testament to the writers in this as well for putting her through so much shit and now yeah. having her like come across as the underdog. No kidding. I think that Jude is becoming a... It, she's becoming empowered again, which we kind of saw her hit rock bottom a little bit, so now she's rebounding. Although, I mean, obviously she had a pretty tear. I think we're going to see her hit rock bottom again, it seems like, yeah. in the preview, but... But still, I mean, we we see her on the rebound, and we see this renewed vigor, which is kind of what we've been hoping for from her. Um, but she has an interesting visitor. She sees Arden has come to visit, um, and finally wants to strike a deal with her. He confesses to being afraid of, of Eunice. Basi- well, basically, he implies that he's afraid of her, and he wants to team up with Jude to bat- combat Eunice. Did you believe him when he came here? Did you think he was being authentic? I, I you know... <laughs> I, I, I call me gullible, gullible, but I actually it was kind of like, oh man, all right, they're gonna play, they're gonna put them together, the enemies coming together. It's, it's such a good uh, ploy for uh, a storyline that I thought it might happen, and I thought it was for real. I, you know what? I actually believed it too, and the reason being, I thought that Ar- that Arden was gonna be so upset that 
he wanted the. I thought he would want the pure Eunice back so badly that this was his attempt to bring her back. Right. That and I thought he was that he was scared enough of Eunice after she threw him against the wall with her powers that he's like, oh snap, I need to handle this lady right now. And he gives well, and he even talks about that how Eunice's purity meant so much to him, and now her light's gone out and everything. I mean, I think those were his real feelings about it. Which right. was interesting. What do you um, think about that as his as his like character uh, story arc has happened? Like like so the progression of him being this like you know this the sadistic uh, doctor that's making these raspers that was a Nazi and coming to the terms of being a sucker for these pure pure women and then coming around to basically playing into the hands of one of these former pure women. I think it's interesting for him. You know, he says that the reason he loves pure women or whatever is because he um, he has seen evil up close and he's seen the face of evil or whatever, right? But that that Hitler. is him. He is that evil. Yeah, well, Hitler too, but like he is an instrument of Hitler. He is part of that evil. So it's like, is he saying that every day he looks in the mirror, he sees this evil coming out? Like, do you think he's referring to himself in this instance? Like, he needs these pure women to cleanse himself of the evil within himself? Right, That that's the question. Like, is this, like, initially I thought this was, a, this was a purely sexual thing. You know, a fixation on what he, you know, sees as, sexual, as his uh, um, sexual fixation. But... You know, as we saw in that one instance a couple episodes ago, when the prostitute that he hired to be this pure person wanted to have sex with him, he like shut it down, kind of, because he's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 no, I don't, I don't know. That's not that's not the role you're supposed to play." But it's funny to me now that this this woman that you know Eunice, who was a you know a pure demure, uh, uh, innocent woman, a nun, is now flipped her switch basically because she's possessed but is now controlling him and what he does because he i think he he's so fearful of what uh a woman could do right right i kind of going back to the feminism thing but you know no i agree i think it's really interesting to see how that's kind of come full circle and how now he is um his life is dictated by women he's forced to submit to women it's very ironic considering the situation exactly um i mean and both choices, even if he is going with either one, it's either he's on Eunice's side or he's on Jews' side, but either either way, he's their instrument, you know? Exactly, so, exactly. He's playing the woman's game now, which is pretty funny and ironic and uh, amazing. <laughs> also, no kidding. Exactly. regardless of how evil or good they are, like it, 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 that's speaking to also probably what Murphy and Falchuk are probably trying to convey in this in this series. It's a yeah, it's a very exactly. women driven series for sure. I think. Oh, for sure. I think that's a, obviously a recurring issue. We talked about that before, just right. with Jude, obviously trying to be, and Lana too. Both of them trying to be strong women in a world that kind of strong tends to women, push down. different ends of the spectrum, though. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Um, so they kind of conduct, you know, concoct this plan where Arden is going to sneak Jude into the building, and they're going to bring Eunice into the office where we don't even know what Jude. We don't know what the plan is, is, but we just know. But she like perform an exorcism or do something that's going to help, and so 
they're kind of like Judas kind of surprised though you know I never thought that the two of us would be working together all that kind of stuff um, I know I was so excited for them <laughs> so obviously that's the kind of one of our climaxes there but in the meantime we have you know Lana Kit is passed Kit. out in a bed next to Lana Lana's still recovering from obviously all the shit she went through last episode she's you know vomiting and everything Kit meanwhile is on like this IV drip of some drug that's kind of keeping him all whacked out and he's dreaming and I mean, you talked a little bit about the dream, so describe the dream a little bit. Right. So the song is the Ronettes are singing Christmas, which is Phil Spector. Th- those girls groups in the '60s are like that is my jam. Those are my those are my tunes. I love I love that genre. And they're listening to Christmas, and then uh, Alma comes in, and she's pregnant, and he's they're just bantering with each other. And dancing. he's dancing. She's he's playing like, oh, it's a boy. And she's like, what if it's a girl? And and he's like, well, then I'll love her too. And she'll like, she'll play baseball or you know, they're they're just they're having a great fun relationship with each other. And then I think he goes in and kisses her, and then he comes out and it's Grace. Is that right? That was right, right? It was Grace. I think that what happened is he kisses her, he goes down, and he's talking to the baby, and then it's Alma's voice, and then it's a different voice. He looks up, and it's Grace and that's it's, now pregnant. There it is. And he is more excited to me, I think. I was kind of surprised about this. He's like, oh my god, Grace, and he like makes out with her. I was like, are you, I agree. Are you for real? I agree. He was more excited to see Grace than he was to see his own wife alive. Homie, that was your wife before, and now you're stoked about this one girl that you banged in the kitchen at an asylum. For real? Uh, I thought that was very interesting too, and I'm wondering, like, I don't know what the symbolism was supposed to be. If we're just supposed to see that he has these dual feelings, or if we're, I mean, obviously we we've seen Alma pregnant on the alien spaceship, and so that's an interesting, you know, parallel. You don't know if like maybe these dreams are being implanted by the aliens somehow, or. You know, is Grace then going to be pregnant too? What the issue is with with the pregnancy? But we know that there is going to be some sort of baby. It seems absolutely uh, there's something yeah, that's going to show up at some point. But yeah, it it was it was very strange and it was very uh, interesting that it would turn into Grace and that he would be that thrilled to see Grace. Um, and also that that uh, kind of I don't know that kind of it, it, it shook me a little bit to. You know, am I? I didn't know if I was supposed to care enough that be more excited that Grace showed up in his delusion, or like me as a person, I was a little more disturbed that like yo that was your wife, and then now this is one girl that you hooked up with one time, and you cared more about seeing her. It seemed. It seemed, especially since now he supposedly believes that Alma's still alive because Grace told him. That she saw her. Right. So, you're right. I think well, both those girls are I mean, pregnant, it seems. <laughs> right, and we've got a weird, like, love... So, I guess we have some weird love triangle kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, we'll be interesting to see what happens, but... Lana tr- is trying to wake him up, and tell- she tells him that it's Threadson. He's kind of in, like, this, you know, drugged-out state or anything, so he can only barely stay onto it, but... That was the only scene that disturbed me, or that bothered me with this whole thing, when, when Lana is, is trying to talk to Kit, wake him up, tell him what happened, and she looks at his IV drip, <laughs> and she's... And it, it, it was probably the worst acting moment of the thing. It maybe it wasn't the worst acting, it was the worst dialogue of the whole thing, and she goes, they've got you doped up. Like, that, yeah. like, way to just like, 
like show, like describe what's happening without us. Like I don't know. I was really annoyed. It, 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 I no, I, I know. It's, I mean, just just show us. You don't need. I mean, and you were showing us already. You don't need to tell us. Right. To. We that did not need to, we dialogue. Not to hear that dialogue. Like you, we we got it. He's messed up right now. You don't have to point it out. And poor poor Sarah Paulson has to say that line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, she was like, Ugh, really. <laughs> But basically, we find out here that um, the police were never called about Kit escaping. They're still looking for him. Atlanta says she heard him on the radio. So we find out that Eunice is basically keeping Kit captive at Briarcliff for some reason, not telling the police that he's out. And we think that maybe this is because they're going to use Kit to frame for the death of Lana. Is kind of what I was getting the idea. I mean, I is that so what you too. were thinking yeah. too? Right, right. Um, so, you know, Eunice, I'm assuming, is planning to have threads, you know, is... is on threats inside, I assume, because Bloody Face certainly seems to be an arm of the devil. And so, I, I don't know. We'll talk more about threats in a couple minutes. But meantime, in the common room, we've got uh, quite a little party going on. The Monsignor is really going on and on and on about Eunice. Uh, really pouring it on thick. And pull, you know, pulls out this star that they're going to put on the top of the tree. And he compares her to... Or no, he, said, he, he compares the, the tree to an abstract artist... The abstract artist Marcel Duchamp. Uh, I don't really know that much about him, I, other than that he's an artist. Do you know anything about that artist? I didn't really know. Yeah. Well, if anybody, if any listeners know anything interesting that could be a connection there, go ahead and send something in. But I just thought that was an interesting, um, you know, comparison to pull kind of out of nowhere. Um, but we see that you know the Santa character is there. The Monsignor even you know basically. Tells Eunice that he's impressed that she's been able to tame him and let him sit, even though we see him whispering dirty stuff to the girl on his lap and everything like that. Um, and Eunice even says later that they're going to have everyone watch Rudolph. So we know it's really a big Satan fest in here. Big um, Satan fest in here. <laughs> but Eunice wants Frank to put the star on top of the tree, so she tells him to go with the letter. Oh, ladder. Frank. I, the minute she told Frank to go get the letter, I knew that we had Frank's and on its way. It was clear something was coming. This is so the writers of uh, The Walking Dead. As soon as you care about someone, they want to get rid of them. Frank brings in the ladder. He gets on there to put in the star. And all of a sudden, Santa tries to kill him. <laughs> no. Throws him off the ladder. It was really a pretty weak attempt by Santa, when you think about it. Um, it was Frank really flies weak. off. Frank flies off the ladder, and Santa's immediately subdued by guards, and Frank just kind of beats the shit out of him for a couple minutes there. <laughs> and Eunice tells him to take him back to solitary confinement, where um, he locks up Santa, turns around, and whoops, Eunice is there to slit his throat. Goodbye, Frank. I hate you, Eunice. Frank was my boy. So... I think that was the end of Frank. That was too bad. He was a fun, fun character he while he lasted. He was awesome. I wish he would have lasted a little bit longer. I didn't need him to be a main character, but he was fun. So is Briarcliff going to be uh, missing a security guard from now on? Or are they going to hire someone new? We'll have to see if we get a new security guard. I, don't know. I because... think we will. Because I, as we saw with, as we, you come to find, the, the, uh, the, the nun that's taking care of Lana... Mm-hmm now is a new nun and she's very nice and uh pleasant so there's always there's always a new nun there's always a new security guard that's an excellent point the asylum has more characters than we realize it's just we kind of focus on certain personalities you know um eunice gives 
Santa the razor blade and basically tells him to go wreak havoc on the asylum. Eunice, um, you conniving little witch. So we have three kind of simultaneous, or well, yeah, three kind of simultaneous, you know, climax scenes of the episode going on at once. And we're going to walk through them one at a time. Let's first talk about Lan- Lana has found a phone. She's getting ready to dial the police when who is in the room with her but... Dr. Threadson. How did he get Whoa, in there? We bam! Don't know. It was kind of dapper as ever, too. Except for the little kind of funky scar he had yeah. on the side of his face. But he goes in and explains how he's spent the however long... Uh, killing bloody face by basically removing all evidence of him from his house. Although he still has a creepy ass basement that is clearly installed for some weird reason, so that's not something you can just get rid of. Yeah, bro. If you're uh, cleaning, up, if you're killing bloody face and cleaning up, that <laughs> look, we saw that. That's that's not like a two day feat. That's that's a month. No kidding. Um, and he has this strangle rope. He's gonna kill her, but he has a couple interesting he has things. A strangle rope. <laughs> That's the technical term, I believe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a couple points I want to make here because he says some interesting things. First things first, he says something to Lana about you made me give you your intimacy, and that's where we went wrong. Why do you think is he just crazy? What does he think that Lana I, m- made him give her? Yeah, I, I think that was the acknowledgement to the rape that he messed up, and he has to deal with the repercussions of that, which means he tarnished her. And he's trying to blame her for that. In really, in reality, it was him that did that. Right. He defiled his mother, and he can no longer think of her as the mother figure. So now he has to get rid of her. Right. He also says something interesting about maybe it was good that Bloody Face was killed to be born again like a phoenix from the flames, and then he's going to build his new mask out of Lana's skin. Yeah, that's. I was like, whoa, bro, whoa, whoa, gross. Don't don't do phoenix. Don't play the phoenix card. That was some weird-ass symbolism that, going on yeah, there. Yeah, that, that's some Harry Potter shit. <laughs> and I don't really understand what symbolism really even is there, because it's not like anything has changed within him. And so if we're supposed to think that there was some transformative moment in threads right. in, in, in the uh, life of Bloody Face, I don't think there, that's the case. But it could be seen as foreshadowing, because obviously we have a future Bloody Face, and so we could see Dylan McDermott as the phoenix you know, coming back to inhabit. Well, that was my thing. Future. Like, so, are you gonna kill people better now? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know. I don't uh, know. Apparently, he had to destroy his old mask. Interesting that the new mask looks exactly like the old mask, yeah. as we know it's going to. <laughs> Your but, phoenix uh, is pretty. Sh- <laughs> those ashes were pretty not cool. <laughs> pretty, dis- pretty disgusting. But. uh I kind of saw this coming. He opens the door and Kit KOs him with a bedpan. Wha-bam! I'm I'm all on board Team Lana Kit right now. Like, I think what it took to get me to like Kit was Lana teaming up with him. I really think that. Because Kit's gone through his storyline and he's had some ups and downs, but I've never really cared too much about that. Lana, I've clearly cared about. I've been with her somewhat from the beginning but her storyline i've been much more invested in and the fact that she gets together with kit as friends to team up and do this i i'm now a hundred percent on board with kit and we talked about this last episode how we were kind of lacking that emotional attachment to him and now that he's with lana i I, i'm on board what do you think 
I was going to ask you that same question if you thought that we achieved that because we did talk last time about how something had to happen in the plot with the whole kit thing for it to get moving someplace because right. it was kind of stalled for too long. We wanted and to I, like him, but we were lacking that reason to love him. And I think you're right. I think that as much as, you know, I think that they had to kind of get Grace out of the way so that way him and Lana could be pitted as allies and now they have Threadson as a as their prisoner in some like side room or closet or something like that. I don't know. Something. But that'll it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But now we kind of have him going down a plot where he's actually able to do something because up until now it's just been Kit bitching about, you know, being wrongly accused and being in love with the girl you just met. <laughs> right, exactly. And so now it's finally something actionable. And so I think it'll be a lot more interesting from here on out because now we have threads in a vulnerable place which is not something we've seen before and so it'll kind of be i don't know i'm excited to see what happens yeah um as for our other plot lines we see jude praying in her room you know prepping herself to destroy eunice when someone enters the office she thinks it's eunice is it eunice no it is Santa! Ho, 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 ho. Demon Santa enters the office. The door is locked behind Santa by Eunice, and we confirm, no, Arden is not helping Jude. He is on Eunice's side, and this is him confirming his loyalty to Eunice as a strategy to get rid of Jude. He's playing his game right. He's playing his cards right, because he knows that right now Eunice is is a demon and he needs to play he needs to be on her side if he wants to win his life out of here he fooled me and i'm glad it's interesting that they went this way i think it's much more in line with his character even though he does have the weird purity complex right i think if we learn if we grew to like him right now that's what i thought they were leading us to and i was like okay you know he's a jerk he's an asshole we're gonna we're working to like him now but then he plays it right back into what his true character is, which is very smart, and I respect that out of the writers uh, for that for this choice. That is absolutely who he is. He is a Nazi. He is a follower. He's going to go with whoever has the strongest hand. That's what he's done the whole time. When his when the Nazis died, he got a new identity and ran across the United States to oh, be a doctor. Yeah, well, he mean. well he's a Nazi. <laughs> I think that is the official diagnosis and that is going to tell us which direction his personality is going to lead him every time. <laughs> um, so, let's talk a little bit about Jude versus Santa. Round two, I guess this would be, because she initially locked him up in solitary confinement after he had bit the ear off of that orderly or whatever and he was not very pleased about that he kind of goes on this rant about how his teeth are rotting how no one ever checked on him how he's just you know but he kind of did it to himself if you think about it a little bit maybe he shouldn't have bit the ear off of the orderly you know but he's pretty pissed and he is planning to not only kill Jude but pretty much uh, it sounds like he wants to rape her he's going to cut her into little pieces he wants to destroy her pretty badly he wants to mess her up and um <laughs> meanwhile Eunice and Arden talking outside the office I thought this was a funny line that Eunice says something to him about is this uh, defile or is, she says something about how is this like un, is this unsavory to your ears or something like that and he's like no I just find it tedious I've got better stuff to go do <laughs> uh snap very tedious and this is just a random like line but one thing that was always I, I, do you know like the whole theory of the banality of evil when it comes to the Nazis talk to basically, me basically 
Basically, the idea that Nazi bureaucracy, the reason that it was so horrifying is because it was so um, bureaucratic. It was like they weren't dealing with human life. It was like the way their death was such a streamlined process and they were looking at people as just different, uh, you know, they had the gas chamber and after the gas chamber you go to the crematorium and after this, you know, A to B and it was just all a very process. So this term was coined called the banality of evil that was basically like evil in this sense was not something horrifying but it was just something that was boring and bureaucratic and that's what made it so terrifying is that they were able to take some, you know, do these evil deeds and make them, put them, like, trap them in such a normal process. And that's kind of what I feel like he's channeling here with his tedious comment and just like... It basically saying, you know, evil... I think he's... I don't know if he's making a comment that evil in this case is is too much work and he likes it better when it's streamlined. or I don't know. I thought it was a reference somehow, though, to kind of this whole banality of evil concept when it comes to the Nazis. Right. Interesting theory. Read up on that. Uh, really good articles um, from Hannah Arendt in The New Yorker and whatever that was during the Nazi trials. That is the inner journalist in me coming out a little bit. Gotta go read that stuff. Good magazine writing. Yeah, bring uh, it up for sure. Anyway, um, I do want to acknowledge, though, in, in this moment, we have what I was seeing as our two heroines, or our two heroes, to be honest, in in this, uh, in this so far in this series, um, being Lana and now Jude, the surprising hero, uh, both of them cornered by their nemesis, in a way. Uh, um, with Jude is being cornered by not necessarily by uh, the demon, aka Eunice in this situation, but locking that Santa in there, and also with Lana turning up in the same room when she's trying to make that phone call with Redson, aka Bloody Face. So both of our two women heroes here are facing their 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 demons. And both triumphant, interestingly enough. Although, yes. we see Lana being saved by Kit, the man, right. whereas Jude saves herself. Yeah, Jude, Jude yeah. was a little convenient for me. I was a little annoyed with how she got out of that. <laughs> I agree, I agree. So after we have this whole thing where, you know, Santa finds the canes in the closet, and he's going to talk about how he's going to soften her up, and he's going to basically torture her before he kills her and everything like that. Um, <laughs> he... I, I, another great line in here was he said, there's no God, but there is a sin. Yeah, I wrote, that, like. I wrote that down, too. That was hella funny. But uh, I thought it was, like, the the way they kind of had this montage where you see Jude finding that letter opener on the desk and everything, it just happened way too fast. It was a little bit too convenient too for me, convenient. too. Yeah. Um, so he gets her on the bed. I'm assuming he's about to rape her when she stabs him in the neck. And it was kind of a similar moment to when Eunice stabbed the Mexican in the neck with the scissors. You know, you see the blood spurt and everything. Yeah. Um, and she is able to kill Santa. Uh, not that she's in a much better situation than she was before, because she's still locked in the office with a dead body. Right. But at least she's gotten herself away from immediate death. Yeah. After she went uh, to Mother Superior <laughs> and tried to find yeah, a way a lot out. Of- which the, a lot of help that dinner. Yeah, which the entire time, I, this is, I mean, oh, not too many people are going to get this one, but I, you probably will. But like I was you know, I was thinking, I, how hilarious would it be if she starts singing, Climb every mountain, afford <laughs> like every sea. That is, uh, um, the Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Yeah. We have a real triumphant moment there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> 
What this is what that episode this season needs some more Cinda music yeah. illusions. I hope the writers are listening. That would be that's a, what we'd like to see in a second. However, there's, <laughs> there's way too much devil in this for Fräulein Maria. So, but we do have our Nazis. We have our nuns, and we have our Nazis. And here, here. Um, it'll be in, Sister Eunice, as we as we'll talk about in a few minutes with the uh, next episode preview. Looks like she's in a pretty bad situation coming up. Um, or sorry, Sister Jude, not Eunice. Yeah, but I am excited to see where this takes us. But kind of the ending moment I want to say here, we see Arden with the body of Grace. It looks like he's going to. I think my guess was he was going to go feed Grace to the Raspers. That's what, what I thought. Yeah, in? absolutely. Um, so he's kind of walking that you know mining cart down one of those hidden tunnels when he has like this ringing in his head and Boom, basically the, alien, the alien, aliens come. They take Grace's body. Um, Hell yeah. Arden seems kind of dazed. I don't really know what he thinks of it by now, but I kind of this is something that a couple of our uh, listeners brought up in emails. I wanted to ask you this question: Do you think that Eunice is aware of the aliens? Damn, good question. Good question, listeners. Uh... And we someone made a good point that like Eunice. Thought that Arden was responsible for Grace's hysterectomy, right? Right. Which would lead us to believe that she, she doesn't not... know, right? Right, right. And so it'll be what is going to be the relationship between this devil and the alien forces that are not necessarily aware of each other yet? Are they going to be enemies? Man, man, way to make me scratch my brain, listeners and Tyler. I... I think it'll. I, I'm really curious to see what the aliens' motives are going to be, kind of in 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 the end here. Why they're impregnating all these women and what their ultimate or goal is. Out their uteruses. Why they seem to. Why they seem to. <laughs> I like your plural there. Why they seem to intervene at random times and stuff like that. I, I. What is going on with these aliens? What is their relationship going to be to Eunice? I think that is an excellent point, and I think that is something that is going to half. To be brought up in the coming episodes. I agree. And clearly, it seems, it looks like they're antagonistic to all the satanic or devil esque uh, entities in Briarcliff, right? It does. It does. And it's uh, like, and now we know that they did not kill Alma because it. I mean, well, I'm not even sure what really. Well, happened. we don't know about Alma. That. Really is, but it's either threads. But like. If she is dead, it's Threadson's fault, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, so, as far as aliens, all we know is bright lights, maybe impreg- impreg- impregnating women, and also also uh, <laughs> hysterectomies. So they're really good doctors, but <laughs> they also they're, are bright lights that save or remove people from evil people. They're performing their own human experiments, which is very weird. Yeah. Um, they're, they're all yeah. OBGYNs. <laughs> uh, but not, but yeah, but apparently failing at that task there. Uh, aliens are going to have to become... Uh, they, up until now, they've been very sporadic. I think that they're going to have to do something with the aliens pretty big soon. Because that plot is just... It's, it's becoming too convenient, them just showing up at random times and right. and, and interjecting themselves. I want to see what their motives are. I want to see I bet that's more about next, what's behind the, the second half of the season, we're finally going to like get into that a little more. Probably get into a little more of the Raspers. The Raspers, actually, I don't think we'll get too much more into, to be honest. I think they're just going to be those fun people on the outside that, like you say, will 
eventually come and kill uh, Arden. And conveniently enter the hospital to basically Wreck get havoc. killed, or get Grace killed in the last episode. Yeah, they're just kind of convenient tools to wreak havoc. I think that's an excellent point. Yeah. Um, so, All right. before we kind of talk about what we, what we expect from the next episode, overall, what do you think? I give four. I think that this was awesome that they attend, that they did a Christmas episode. I think that it, the not only did they do a Christmas episode, that it was the Christmas aspect of it was it fit well with the story. It handled like, whole, like they handled it well. It wasn't just like handled, a themed. It was handled well. They handled it well, and Ian McShane was fucking terrifying. I thought he was awesome. Cheers. I'm going to give it. Cheers. I'm gonna, I'm going to give it four and a half. I think it was that. Whoa. Four and a half over men from me. That is a pretty good score. That's a huge score from Tyler Moss, peeps. I I liked this episode. I thought it was good. I, I liked it better than the past couple episodes. Yeah, I loved it. Good. good I mean, because and the reason being, I feel like you know, in the past couple episodes, we've seen characters you know pushed into the asylum randomly. We saw that little girl who murdered people two episodes ago. We saw Miles last episode who cut his own hand off. You know, we see these other characters come and go, and we really don't get a sense of who they are. And that's why I kind of didn't like both of those characters, is they both seemed like they were not around long enough for us to get like to get invested in them, and they just seemed kind of inserted for you know plot device exposition purposes. But this Santa character, he was in it. Like he was hardly in. He was in this episode for you know twenty minutes of the total twenty you know forty five minute episode. But, it but the whole. We got all the backstory from him. We saw him be terrifying on multiple occasions. Right. I thought it was amazing how well that was. Very good point. Like, this was one of the first peripheral characters that I was actually absolutely disturbed by. I thought he was a better peripheral character than the Anne Frank character. Whoa. What? You don't like... What I'm hearing is you hate Anne Frank. (laughs) And you can put that on the record. I hate (laughs) Anne Frank. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, anyway okay uh, moving on okay so quick discussion about our expectations for next episode from those flashes what what do you see in the future so jude jude apparently does become a patient jude became a patient we had reader we had listeners make this prediction i just want to acknowledge that you guys called it you did Jude is becoming a prisoner in the asylum it was inevitable cheers peeps that was very that was very uh uh, smart of you guys to call that from the beginning i wasn't going to call that i i didn't even think it would happen but it happens we also see dylan mcdermott is in the upcoming episodes we I don't know if we're supposed to know that he is the new bloody face yet. Although he did, Dylan McDermott himself tweeted out on Twitter that he is the new bloody face. So we know he is. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see these modern day discussions between him and the psychiatrist. And his, uh, uh, Lorraine Bracco. What's, uh, what's, what was Tony Soprano's shoot? What was her name in, what, what, um, his psychiatrist. What was her name? Lorraine Bracco's the actress, but. Uh, I know the actress's well, name. I don't remember her name from the flint, show, flint, but yeah. Flint. Shoot. Anyway, yes, but we get him, and she, that woman was actually a Grey's Anatomy actress, and she played one of the lesbians on that show and one of the surgeons, and that's how I knew her. Oh, so we're gonna have a little bit of an allusion to the Sopranos going on here. Yes, and I think that we're going to get some backstory for modern day Bloody Face, which I. Am very much looking forward to seeing. I think that finally we'll get something out of this modern, you know, present day plotline. Right. I agree. 
So I think those are the two big things to look for. Of course, Eunice will continue to be crazy, will continue to battle Jude, but Jude is going to apparently be in a very vulnerable position going forward, so we'll have to see how she finds her way out of this, maybe with the help of Kit and Lana, which yes, is going to be my guess. Melfi! Melfi! That's the name of Lorraine Bracco's character as a psychiatrist in Tony Soprano. Sorry. Good call. So we'll see our Tony Soprano and Melfi scenes coming up with modern-day bloody face Dylan McDermott and the girl from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yep. Personally, I can't wait. I enjoyed the Christmas episode. That was a lot of fun. It was, it was incredible. It, was, it actually blew my mind because it could have been a way worse, but they did an incredible job with it and they handled it very tactfully. They did a good job. I agree with you. I just want to remind everybody that you can like us on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast. You can give us reviews and comments on iTunes. Please do. You can send us questions and comments to thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. Always, you can uh, visit us, our website, at thisamericanhorrorstory.com. Um, where can people find uh, more of what you're talking about this week, Chris? On my Twitter, you can find me at, at Chris said Chris with a K. And I just want to put this before I ask you where you're on Twitter. Happy holidays, everyone. I'm really going to miss you guys. Your your comments on Facebook and on our email are valued absolutely. Are we on a break for sure? Is the show on a break? Do we know this? I'm pretty sure we're on a break until February. I think that, I don't know. We might have an episode next week. If okay, I lied. Tyler's probably right because he knows way more about this than I do. I don't know. If we have an episode, we will broadcast. Obviously, we will let you know. But even if there is a break, we will. Uh, we're thinking about doing some sort of bonus episodes or something like that. So just stay posted, and we will have something for you. Tyler's but as right. always, Tyler, where can we find you? I am at TJMoss11 on Twitter. I look forward to talking to you all soon. Have a great week and happy hauntings. Dominique, nique, nique, s'en allait tout simplement. Routier, pauvre et chantant. En tout chemin, en tout lieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu.